what do the words covenant, restoration and kingdom mean to you? Find out in our new DNA series. My name's Mark Kelly and I thank you for downloading this podcast. Enjoy what's coming up. Today is very exciting. Um, We start a very short series called DNA. We're going to do that again because at that point there's supposed to be an ooh. Okay, we're going to share a short series called DNA. Hey, okay, excellent. We, we just thought it would be a really great opportunity this time of the year. We've got guests and visitors and students and what have you kind of coming in to, to the meetings. And we thought it would be a really great way just to elaborate a little bit more on, on who we are. What is the real substance of who we are? We could go practical. We could have talked about tithing in more detail, but we did that the other week. Mike did a great job. Go listen to it again, citychurchleads.net forward slash audio. And uh, listen to that again, really good. And we could have talked about serving, we could have talked, but do you know, a load of stuff comes into these three things, which you'll see written on the screen there, kingdom, covenant, and restoration. That is our DNA. If you cut those of us who are part of City Church, if you cut us, we will bleed, covenant, kingdom, and restoration, those kind of three pillars of who we are. Now, who knows what DNA stands for? I, do you know, I knew Mike could have his hand in the air straight away. Go on, Mike, what's it stand for? It's, I, I didn't hear that one. Oh, deoxyribonucleic acid. I've got it written down here in kind of um, split up words so I can say it. Deoxyribonucleic acid. And what is DNA? What is DNA? Come on, give me, give me, a, give me a shout out. Go on, Mike. You're like that kid at the back that always sticks his hand up. Go on, go on, give us a, give us a scientific explanation of what DNA is. It's, it's a long chain molecule that's in a double helix, which defines our genetic character. And it is a long sequence of base pairs of it's adenine. It's the code for what we oh, look like. Oh, yeah, it's like the code for what we look like, yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. No, I think Mike did a great job as well. I, I would have still liked, I think I should have a round of applause as well. Well done, Mike. Um, incidentally, when I was looking up, when I was looking up DNA, uh, apparently, I, I, I put this, this search term into Google, how much information, uh, what, or something like what, if you were to convert the, the information that DNA contains into gigabytes and, and what have you, how much, how big would it be? Well, the, well, the first answer is you can't really do that just because of the way that it works. But if you were to bend a few rules and put a th- few things in kind of in, in its proper order, Apparently, it's only, this shocked me, it's only about 700 megabytes. The information is only about 700 megabytes. And to put that into perspective for you, that's about the same bit of information you could put onto a CD. I, I, I'm blown away. I was, I was expecting pet, petaflops of information, uh, but apparently not. And I also discovered this, um, that the information in, the male, in male's DNA versus the information in, in female DNA there's more information in the blokes. But it also just says a lot of junk DNA in there as well. So, you know, I'm going to leave that gender argument to you. Nobody knows QI. That's right. That's right. But hey, for the sake of this, Sarah, yeah. Okay, um, I haven't even got to the first thing here. Right, so DNA, 
DNA, it's, it's, it's massive. It's a big word. It's a long word. But it's a small package. Very, very small package. And it's astounding that, that, that DNA enables us to be who we are, that makes us who we are, that gives us the different kind of things of who we are. I think that's, that's astounding. And in the same way, kingdom, covenant, restoration, they're massive words. They mean so, so much. And, um, you know, we, we have preached on kingdom and covenant and, we, and, and restoration. We do, we've done it over a, a number of weeks and still not covered every aspect of what they are. And there ain't no way I'm going to do that in the next 20 minutes. All right? So I'm not going to cover everything about kingdom because that's what I'm going to speak on today. I'm not going to cover everything about kingdom in the next 20 minutes. I'm just going to pull out one or two things concerning kingdom. But I'm also going to pull it out in, 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 within this context. Firstly, the context that, that we're a family. That we as a church, city church leads, we have identified that, that we do things best when we do it through that lens of family. Okay? Some people might chase after missions. Some people might chase after um, um, vision. Some people might chase after doing uh, other stuff. But we do, we do all that, but we do it under this, this family context. So when I'm talking about kingdom, I'm talking, I, want to talk, I want you to understand it through that, that context of family. Because the kingdom is family. You know, the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, that's family. That's kingdom presence. And, and, and I, I think I go into this. I'll have to check my notes. But <laughs> I think I go into this a little bit later. Is, is that, that God's presence is his kingdom. And that if you have Jesus living inside of you, if you've accepted him as your Lord and your Savior, and you've received him, to use a Christianese kind of terminology, you've received him into your heart. In other words, you have a, an intimate relationship with Jesus. Then you have kingdom flowing from within you. So wherever you go, whatever you do, you bring kingdom into that place. And I think that's, that's massive. It's huge. Turn with me, please, to um, spark up your Bible apps. Open your Bible. If you're sparking up your Bible apps, turn off your phone, sound, so it doesn't ring. And, and turn with me, if you would please, to Matthew 5, Matthew 5, from verse 13. And I'm going to read from the message translation. So if you've got a Bible app, you can quickly skim to that. If you've got another translation, you're just going to have to bear with me and kind of try and find what I'm reading. So Matthew 5, verse 13. I'm going to read this just because it's, it's encouraging. Because the second context in which I want us to um, think about kingdom is our, at some point in the future, move from this place into a place, East End Park is, is kind of probably the region that we want to be looking at from our, our, our family fireside chat the other day. Now, when we move there, we, we, we don't know when that is going to be. It'll be sometime soon in the future, I hope. But while we're here, we're 100% here. So we look to there but we understand we're still here and we still work here and we do stuff here. But it's within that context of, okay, well, let's let, if, if, if we take kingdom wherever we are, then what are we taking into that new area, into that new place that we're going to be bringing the presence of God to? Yeah? So family and what are you taking with you? Matthew 5, verse 13 to 16. Let me tell you why you are here. I love some verses because you can just read them and I could just sit down. Because the Bible, the Bible's ace. Uh, and it tells you all you need to know. But let me tell you why you are here. You are to be a salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. 
is another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in this world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you on there, on the hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up to God, this generous Father in heaven. Okay, cool. I'm done. <laughs> oh, okay. I've got some more stuff to say. But just soak that in. Just soak that up a little bit. Maybe reread it just, just now. Just, just, just scan it again with your eyes. Just soak it up, what, what Jesus is saying. I think there's something important to, to mention. That is that, you know, if you, if you have, in quotes, been saved, if you've got a relationship with Jesus, um, that isn't it. We, we don't kind of reach that, that pinnacle and then, and then stop. God, he's got an expectation of each and every one of us beyond that salvation moment, that moment of receiving Jesus into your heart. And he wants to use his authority that he's now placed within you. If you've opened up your heart and you've received him, he wants you to use that to make a difference in your life and to make this world a better place. He wants you, as I said in that scripture, he wants you to be salt and light in a liberal and loose society. And we are in a liberal and loose society. And, you know, we, we often, we can hear it called a postmodern society. Postmodern society has a number of kind of definitions I could add to that. But essentially it's this, it's very basic level is this, what's good for you is good for you and what's good for me is good for me. I... When I first became a Christian, I, I remember uh, a number of months kind of after that moment, after John cried and I cried with him over there and I received Jesus into my heart. Amazing moment. I remember a number of months after that, friends coming to me and saying, oh, you, you diff- there's something different about you. Um, you're still the same guy. You've still got the same kind of sense of humor. You've still got the same lack of style. But there's something, there's something different about you. And I said, well, uh, th- th- the only thing I can say is that that's Jesus. That's, that's you know, you know, I became, yeah, 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 I know you became Christian. Yeah, that's cool. And I went, well, you know, if, if you think it's good and you think it's made a positive impression on me, then hey, you know, why don't you come along with me to church? Why don't you, why don't you maybe just come and let me spend time with you telling you about this newfound belief that I have? And the response would be, do you know what? It's, it's, it's amazing for you, but it's not for me. It's amazing for you, but it's not for me. Which is a bit weird, considering how positive it had made me, how much of a difference it had made in my life, how much they thought I was a much better, uh, in quotes, person, in whatever that means, yet it's not for them. Uh, but that's what the postmodern society generates. It's, there's, no, there's no absolute truth, which is a bit weird, because you're saying there's no absolute truth with absolute truth, therefore what you're saying is an oxymoron of what you just said. It's a nonsense. It's something we've made up for ourselves to make ourselves feel better in this society so we can get away with anything and everything. But we can't. 
There is absolute truth, and that truth is in Jesus. So, this society in which we live today, and, and, and we've seen through the media over the last decade in particular, I think, um, that there's, a, there's an underbelly of, of Christian persecution. There's an, an underbelly. And I'm not suggesting that it's persecution like we've just seen in recent weeks or the last few months in Syria, in Iraq. It's not that. And we need to keep on praying for our brothers and our sisters and for those of other faiths in that region, that the peace comes to that region, that the kingdom of God is released in that, in that place. We need to keep praying. But nevertheless, in the UK, there is this underbelly of persecution. I don't know if you remember some of those kind of stories of people not being allowed to wear crosses, not allowed to pray at council meetings and things like that. There's a, there's a hammering away of that foundation of our society because that, what, what, what it brings to society is there's only one truth, and it's in Jesus, and people don't want to accept that because it brings with it responsibilities. It brings freedom, but it brings responsibilities. And if what's good for you and what's good for, what's good for you is good for you and what's good for me is good for me, then, then I don't want those responsibilities. I mean, we see as well, don't we, that, that you know, faith, in all, in all its forms, actually, is on a lower rung of the ladder than other kind of rights and privileges in the UK particularly when it comes to matters of conscience, and I'll let you make your own mind upon what those are. And do you know what? It would be easy, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it just be easy just to go with the flow? Come on, wouldn't it just be easy just to go with the flow? Sometimes I sit there and I think, oh, I'll, I'll accept that, and I'll receive that, and I'll just keep my little shape of Jesus here in this corner, and, and, and I'll shape him and bend him to my will and to what I want, because it's so much easier just to... You know, you just hit upon hit upon hit of this. This is what you should be like. This is where you're wrong. This is where you're bigoted. This is where you're, you're incorrect. It'd be so easy just to lay that down, wouldn't it? How many of you attempted just to go, oh, sack it. I'll, I'll change my conscience to believe that. I'll change that. You know, it's, but we, we don't, do we? Because ultimately, Jesus is the truth, the way, and the life. And that through him and through what he said in his word and through what he said through a continual revelation that he gives to you by your Holy Spirit, we know what truth is, don't we? So I said it would be easy to go with the flow and accept everything that throws us. However, Scripture, as I've said, does not allow us to do this. That bit of Scripture there doesn't allow you to keep God to yourself. It doesn't allow you to have a lovely, pleasant Christian on my own time. Get the bigger picture. I know you can have quiet moments and he asks for secret moments. Get the bigger picture. He's saying you've got to share your faith with others. Ultimately, that's what you've got to do. That's the bottom line. You've got to share your faith with others in whatever way and whatever format that is, but you've got to make that attempt. You've got to do that thing. You've got to say those words. You've got to be that person that you are. And when people recognize that person that they are, like they did with me, then you've got to say it's because of Jesus. You don't go, you say loudly and clearly, it's because of Jesus. And I know that you probably don't want to hear that, but it's because of him that I am who I am. And I want you to experience his love too. Isn't that a good thing? Just a few nods of heads. Can I just have a few yeses? Yeah. Opening our mouths. We, we, we don't like doing that, do we, in the West? We're kind of polite and we want to sit there and we don't want to say anything that, that might make our brother or our sister uncomfortable, whether they're in the faith or out of the faith. But we've got to do that. Because it's only in that place of uncomfortableness will people move. They won't move if they're comfortable. Why would you? I don't want to get out of bed in the morning. It's comfortable. 
but I have to move because I have to do stuff. So if we put this into context of moving to a different place, I've got 10 more minutes, my goodness, I'm only on page one. If we, if we think about this, then, then we've, we've got to understand what is their perception of church? What is their perception of, of, of who we are as a people? And, you know, I, I remember a number of months ago, I was chatting to a guy in Nando's. I love Nando's. Anybody wants to treat me to Nando's, I'll snap your hand off. And, and this guy came up, one of the, the, wait, the waiters, whatever they call them, servers. And um, I, was, I was having a, a bit of a debate with Pete and Pat and Kath. And said, what, 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 what do, we, do, we, do we call them sermons? So I'm doing the website. And I'm thinking, do, I, do I call them sermons? Do I call them preaches? What do I call them? Do I call them talks? And, you know, because they both have different kind of meanings, don't they? They're kind of, they're slightly, they're, they're kind of different. They're all communicating something, but they're slightly different. So I asked the guy, I said, listen, I'm from a, I lead a church, and I'm trying to sort out something from a website. And um, you know, what, do you, what do you think about church? And he went, well, you know, it's people in frocks, isn't it? You know, and, and, and they read from like big, I'm paraphrasing. They kind of read from big old Bibles and, and stuff like that. And I said, really? He said, oh, okay. Um, well, I'm trying to do this thing. I don't want to call it a talk or a preacher or a sermon. What do you, he went, call it a talk. I said, why is that? He said, because I don't really understand what a sermon is. And preaching just sounds a, bit, sounds a bit weird. So we might be comfortable with it as Christians, as believers, of those of us who have grown up in the church, whether that's 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, whatever. But those out there in the world, they need a different language. We need to be able to think, how do we connect with them? Forget what makes you comfortable. We've got to think, what makes, what makes them? I'm kind of almost contradicting what I've just said, but it's, it's how do we make that initial connection? And so that's why I call them talks. I don't call them sermons or preachers because that's what he was comfortable with. And I thought, well, he probably represents a proportion of the unsaved population of the United Kingdom. And it's amazing how people kind of then go on Twitter and Facebook and go, why do you call them talks? <laughs> you know, yeah, I know. I mean, it's just whatever helps. It'll be all things to all men, you know, all that kind of stuff. Because it's only when we're there can we then start to help and change them through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because we do this, we're asked to share our, our faith with love and with grace and without judgment and condemnation. Without judgment and condemnation. So whether they swear, whether they smoke, whether they, they, they look at stuff they shouldn't be looking at or anything like that, you initially you just share stuff with them with love and grace and without judgment and condemnation. The Bible does say that we are to judge one another, those who believe. So you are to pull up your brother or your sister and say, hey, what do you think? In love, in the context of love. But for those out there, those who don't know Jesus, and maybe some of you in here who don't know Jesus, I want to approach you with love and grace and not judgment and condemnation. Because that's what Jesus did. Think about the people he spoke to. Think about the people he met with. Even his disciples didn't think they were good enough. Why are you talking to that person there? They're not good enough for you. No, we need to, we need to be like Jesus to the world, don't we? I'm not going to get through this, my goodness. Because Jesus just loves the world. He loves you. And he loves those who don't yet love him. Another thing I say to people, would you know what? Jesus loves you. Tough. Whether you believe in him, the malice that loves you. Tough. That fact isn't going to go away. Deal with it. In love. Um... <laughs> 
So when I look around Leeds, so like, again, I'm trying to make this kind of for us here. When I look around Leeds and I look at the wider, wider church of which we play a part, I see a church that is alive in communities. I see a church through things that Kids Club are doing, things that LYC are doing, things that Ben Jones is doing, things that these uh, uh, Lee County Crisis Centre are doing, and, and a number of other things that I can't now think of because they've disappeared off the top of my head. We're, we're, we're being alive, we're being Christ, we're bringing his kingdom, they're bringing his kingdom into those places, into those communities. And that's what we're, we're to do as followers of Jesus. We need to, and we are, a church that is full of compassion for the lost and needy. And that, 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 that need, it doesn't necessarily just mean financial needs. That need, you know, people could be living in the north of Leeds in Adelaide and all those nice posh places. <laughs> um, and, and, and they don't know what they need. So we need to show them what they need. And then they'll go, oh my goodness, that there was that hole I didn't know I had. That they were filling with other bits of stuff. You know, we've got to show them that, that that's a Jesus-shaped hole. That's a kind of need. So don't just automatically think it's, it's needy as in financial. They can be the richest person on earth and still need Jesus. Wealth doesn't buy you happiness. Jesus brings you joy. You know, we, it's a church that wants everyone to know that God loves them, no matter who they are, what they've done. He's a loving father ready to receive them with open arms. It's a church that's ultimately God's chosen preferred vessel to bring his kingdom. Now, God will use other things and other people outside of the church, but his primary vessel, folks, is the church. Us, me and you, capital C. We're his chosen vessel to advance his kingdom. What an awesome responsibility you have. But it's a responsibility that should bring you joy and happiness, even amongst the struggles that you may encounter. God wants you to be a faithful servant. He wants you to actively advance the kingdom of God and, and occupy it until he comes. Uh, in this church, in, in this church here, not all churches believe exactly the same thing that we believe. I would hope the fundamentals they believe. But not, all, not everyone church kind of, you know, works these things out in the same way that we do. So in this church, we believe in the five or the fourfold ministries, depending on how you look at it, which is what? What are, the, what are those things? Okay, I'll say it for the recording. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, or pastor-teacher, depending whether you want to put that into one. And that we believe, we believe here, and again, other churches do, but they might believe things slightly differently, that we need all those things. We need all those, that representative uh, fivefold ministries to help us, to help the church, to help the born-again believer rule our city with Christ. Those, those ministries are there for the church. So if somebody comes out and it comes up and it's apparently his gifting or her gifting is, is, is to be an amazing evangelist, I would say first and foremost, her responsibility is to help us become amazing evangelists. Not for us to go, oh, they're amazing evangelists, let's get them out there. I'm mean, sure they'll do that, but we need training, we need equipping, this is what these things are for. So within the church, we want to see those five or four fold ministries and we want to see them grow stronger and that's what we want to do here. As Christians, we must take a stand for righteousness. And, we, and like I said, we've got to share our faith. But we, we, we mustn't forget that there is a war going on. 
There's a war going on. I talked about that, that postmodern thing, that liberal and loose thing. It's a war with principalities and powers that are beyond anything that we can comprehend. And, and the, there are battlefields that take place outside the church in areas to which we might not be aware, but they're there and the battlefields are happening. It could be in your home. It could be in your workplace. It could be in a college. It could be wherever it might be. And on that, as I was looking at that, I, I, I don't know who wrote this, author unknown, but I'm going to read this, 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 this bit to you. It's powerful. And if Hannah Jones was up here and not downstairs with the kids this morning, she'd really appreciate it. It's about, about being a soldier in the army of God. I'm going to read it to you. I am a soldier in the army of my God. The Lord Jesus Christ is my commanding officer. The Holy Bible is my code of conduct. Faith, prayer, and the word are my weapons of warfare. I have been taught by the Holy Spirit, trained by experience, tried by adversity, and tested by fire. I am a volunteer in this army, and I am enlisted for eternity. I will not get out, sell out, be talked out, or pushed out. I am faithful, reliable, capable, and dependable. If my God needs me, I am there. If he needs me on a Sunday school to teach the children, work with the youth, help adults, or just sit and learn, I'll be there. He can use me because I am a soldier. I am not a baby. I don't need to be pampered, petted, primed up, pumped up, picked up, or pepped up. I am a soldier. No one has to call me, remind me, write to me, visit me, entice me, or lure me. I am a soldier. I am not a wimp. I am in place, saluting my God, obeying his orders, praising his name, and building his kingdom. No one has to send me flowers, gifts, food, cards, sweets, or give me handouts. I do not need to be cuddled, cradled, cared for, or catered to. I am committed. I cannot have my feelings hurt bad enough to turn me around. I cannot be discouraged enough to turn me aside. I cannot lose enough to cause me to quit. If I end up with nothing, I will still come out ahead. I will win. My God has and will continue to supply all my needs. I am more than a conqueror. I will always triumph. I can do all things through Christ. Devil cannot defeat me. People cannot disillusion me. Weather cannot weary me. Sickness cannot stop me. Battles cannot beat me. Money cannot buy me. Governments cannot silence me. And hell cannot handle me. I am a soldier. Amen? Even death cannot destroy me. For when my commander calls me from this battlefield... He will promote me to captain and then allow me to rule with him. I am a soldier in the army and I'm marching, claiming victory. I will not give up. I will not turn around. I am a soldier marching, heaven bound. It's you and me. It's you and me. Fighting this good fight of faith, it requires an understanding of purpose. And I might just touch upon the first one. You might have heard me speak on this before. It's found, I think, in two great commissions that are talked about in the Bible. And this first commission comes from Genesis 1, verse 28. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion. Dominion was this a first assignment that God gave humanity. Dominion in this verse, uh, in, in the Hebrew, it's this word rada. Rada, and it's represented 
um, uh, 13, it's 13 times in the Old Testament, and this is the, the first covenant of promise to God's representatives. Who are they? I'm just checking you're listening. Adam and Eve. Yeah, those represent us. So they weren't only gardeners of this lovely place, but they were rulers of a kingdom. And this kingdom's jurisdiction, as it was then and as it is now, was earth. This is our, de- this is our delegated place of authority. And we're to bring that delegated place of authority wherever we're at. For those of us who are believers, we've heard plenty of times this phrase, Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and yes, he is. And that word Lord in the scripture comes from the Greek word kurios, meaning supreme leader. Jesus is the ruler of rulers, and we, the born-again believers, if you've received Jesus into your heart, you're a born-again believer, you've been given life afresh, we then are both rulers and citizens of his kingdom. Rulers and citizens. Rulers and citizens of his kingdom. The best kingdom to be in. And as he called Adam and Eve to rule, so he's called, he's called us to rule. And the moment you were born again, without doing anything other than receiving by grace his, his amazing life now that's inside you, you were qualified to enter into his advanced rulership training course. You didn't have to qualify, you didn't have to get A-levels or do any foundation course or go to university. When you ask Jesus into your heart, you're now in his advanced rulership training course. Hallelujah. The Apostle Peter, guy from the, from the Bible, he called the participants of this, of this training the royal priesthood. Of believers it says they were priests kings and rulers that's us and this leads us on to the second commission this is the one that you'll know more it's the, called the great commission and it's found in Matthew 28 verses 18 to 20 Matthew 28 verses 18 to 20 I'm going to read you it from the message version again Jesus undeterred went right ahead and gave his charge God authorized and commanded me to commission you Go out and train everyone you meet, far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That, that, that family, that kingdom that we're to represent. Then instruct them in the practice of all I've commanded you, and I'll be with you as you do this. I will be with you. He will be with us as we do this, day after day, right up until the end of this age. And do you know what? This verse, this verse is not about making you a Sunday morning preacher. It's not about making you something in, in the institution that is church. It's not about giving you titles or, or, or names or honorifics or anything like that. It's not about that. This scripture is focusing on, on your life's journey. And, 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 it, and if we're the church, then therefore it's the church's journey. City Churches leads this journey, our journey. And our journey is to advance the purposes of Christ throughout the earth. There is no getting away from that. That's what we've got to do. That's the Great Commission. And, and, and that alone, that bit of scripture alone, this validates each and every one of us to minister in the different places that we find ourselves. 
in the different schools or colleges, workplaces. We are to share the love of Jesus. And notice that neither of these two commissions limit people to that private relationship with Jesus. I said that right at the beginning. That really, ideally, it's not, it is a personal private relationship, but it's, it's also paradoxically something that needs to be shared publicly. It's kind of weird, isn't it? I love it how Christ does that. It's an upside-down kingdom. You know, the least will become the most, and the rulers will be the servants. You know, it's, it, it, Jesus can hold both of these things in tandem. And we can hold both of these things in tandem. That it can be private, but it can be public. We can be in charge, but we can serve. That's amazing, isn't it? Only through Christ can we do that. Uh, Christian author, A.W. Tozer. Anybody know him? Anybody know him for real? No. Now, he lived, he lived in the first part of the 20th century. I think he died in the 1960s or something like that. And he wrote, he wrote this unfortunate observation about the Christian world at the time. And he said this, Everything is made to center upon the initial act of accepting Christ. And we are not expected after that to crave any further revelation of God to our souls. That's not us, is it? We want further revelation from Jesus, don't we? We want to hear his voice. We want to know where we're going, what we're doing, how we're doing it. We can get all those answers from the Holy Spirit. We just got to practice his presence. Practice his presence. You know, something that I do now before, I try and do now before our prayer meetings, and if you've been to any recent prayer meeting here at City Church Leeds, you'll know it's something that I think is really important to do now. And I didn't do it so often. And you know, I've got to admit, like Pete admitted the other day, he didn't want to come to the prayer meeting, but when he got here, he was blown away. You know, there's been plenty of prayer meetings where I go, oh man, I don't want to go. Not that they weren't good when you got there, but it's just that, are we going to sit around in a Christian circle and look at each other until somebody dares say the first prayer? Then that first prayer goes on for about three, four minutes, and you think, man, how can I match that? Is that just me? No, thank you for being honest. You know, a prayer is a conversation with Jesus, isn't it? It's just talking to our Savior. And it doesn't have to be full of these and thous and long words that we don't understand. And it doesn't have to be something that I disastrously call a prayer preach. Don't, don't do prayer preach. Don't, don't preach and pray. Just talk to Jesus. And, and so, you know, these the prayers would often turn out great. But initially, but, oh. but the thing that's really helped me, and you may do this already. And, you know, maybe it's only taken me 10, 12 years to, to work this one out. But just soaking in his presence not pressuring to say anything, do anything, or be anything. Putting on some music. Appropriate music. Not Guns N' Roses. Well, I quite like them. But appropriate music. And just to soak in his presence. And it takes about five minutes, ten minutes, to take for the junk to leave your brain. Because you lay down or you'll sit down and, and, and you'll still be thinking about, you know, in my case, the latest episode of Doctor Who. Maybe something more important than that. Um, and, but after a little while, I found this soaking experience that then the spirit just begins, and forgive me for the Christianese, but I can't think of another way of putting it, it begins to minister to me. Just begins to speak into my heart and into my mind. I might not hear words, 
but I just, it takes me from one place and puts me in another place, another place where I'm ready to go. I, 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 whatever comes out of my mouth now is just going to be for him. I'm just going to say things that he wants me to say and do the things that he wants me to do. And I found that time, taking that time of just practicing his presence has helped me when I come into those kind of prayer meetings and prayer gatherings now. And I recommend you do the same. So that's that public and personal thing again, those two things. So take time at home if you can. Put everything else aside. Give yourself half an hour. Just practice his presence. Don't feel the pressure to read scripture. Scripture is amazing and I love it. But just, just relax. Meditate on him. And your prayer times will, will just become richer and fuller and more amazing. When you go to work, when you go to school, when you go to college, that who you are and what you bring into that place will be fuller and richer and amazing. So let's not be what A.W. Tozer has said that everything comes up to that point of salvation, but let's bring further revelation to our souls. I'm going to keep, is that all right if you keep going? Mm-hmm. Excellent. Not for long. Don't worry. An intimate relationship with our Savior is chief, but to ignore our mandate, to ignore that thing, to be salt and light to the world, I'll tell you, it dishonors God and it violates Scripture. Have I made you feel a bit uncomfortable? Hope not. But if I have, good. Because we have to bring, we have to be salt and light to the world. And if we're not being that, we are dishonoring God and we are violating Scripture because Scripture asks us to do that. You've just read it. To be those people who wants to do that. And I'm going to quote from another unknown author here. And it says, um, to do that, to dishonor God and to violate Scripture, it's a tragic mistake that leaves, it leaves the next generation to suffer the ravages of unbridled demonic principalities and powers. We're here for the next generation and for the generation after that. We're working towards that. If we're forever looking at that, if we're forever thinking we need, we, they really do need to be, our ceiling really does need to be their floor. We, we need to be out there communicating Jesus, telling people the good news and being salt and light to the world in whatever way you're comfortable with doing that, but push yourself a little bit because we've got to think about the next generation, our kids. It's not good enough they can come on a Sunday and, and, and that's it. That's the only interaction with church. Listen, we all make mistakes. You know, I, I can be a rubbish dad. Honestly, I say, I say that with honesty. You know, ultimately, I'm a, I'm a good dad, I think, but I can be rubbish. I, I, can, I, can, I can shout at my kids too much. I can get angry with them too much. I can find, find myself getting frustrated with them too much. Now, if you're a parent, have you, ever, have you done that? Am I just on my own again? Okay, I can tell from the smile. You're not sticking your hands up, but you're smiling at me. Okay. But do you, know, do, you know what, do you know what I do? And this is the difference from maybe what the world would do before I was brought up when I was a kid, but we didn't have Jesus in our house, is I recognize, by the Holy Spirit, I recognize those moments where I've gone too far, where I've said the wrong thing, where I've been a bit too shouty, and I've asked for forgiveness from my children. And I've said to them, I'm not the perfect dad, but I try to be a good dad. And because they've got the Spirit living inside of them, they've got the grace to forgive me. And let's just be honest with our kids. Let them see that, you know, things take time and there's stages and things that happen. And um, they'll appreciate that authenticity and that, that transparency 
of relationship. And that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to invest into my kids. You know, our faith, our belief system is the only one that brings true forgiveness. There are the other faiths, some other faiths around the world, some of the major faiths don't even practice that forgiveness thing. It's all about karma. So if you do bad things in this world, you'll be reincarnated, or you do good things, you'll be reincarnated, either blessed or cursed, depending on what you did. That's not forgiveness. There's another major religion in this world that, that says they practice forgiveness, but actually, at the end of the day, God is still the one that decides. Even if they've been righteous and good their whole lives, God could, their God could still decide to send them to hell. Yet when we ask for forgiveness, our God forgives us. When we ask for forgiveness, our God forgives us. And if we are to be Christ-like, then we ask for forgiveness and we are forgiven and we forgive others. Remember that thing that when you're pointing at someone, there's three fingers pointing back at you? you don't, don't start with yourself. Start with yourself. As we look, as we look from, to move from this place, this, this physical place that we meet on a, on a Sunday and we begin to engage in another part of the, of the city, I say it's, got to, it's time. It's time that we wake up from any kind of self-centered slumber and that we begin through sacrifice, and that's giving up our time, giving up our finances, giving up you know, who we are to invest into another area so that we, we can engage them again with the gospel of the kingdom. In this house, we are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say, I'm sorry. We give second chances to anyone. We also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud. Give the best hugs. We are family. And in this house, that means we love.